Good morning. Good morning. My name is Al Holbert, and I know many of you, but um, if you don't, I, I have the opportunity to teach at Ben Senior High, teach social studies, and uh, today is a great day, not because I just got back from Grand Turk, but because God is in his heaven, amen? Because the ducks lost and the beavers won. It doesn't get much better than that, and, uh, and I'm here to prove that. Um, this is Civil War week. Bob Shaw, the weather guy, and I have a, have a bet. We're good friends, and we have a bet. He's going to drag me onto the show sometime this week. And um, when the Beavers win Friday, uh, he has to dye his hair, what hair he has, orange and black, and uh, wear some of my stuff. And if the Age of Miracles is truly over and the Ducks win, um, then I have to dye my hair and wear duck stuff on the air. So, um, so we'll see how that turns out, and, um, but it's been a, been a great weekend. It's a great joy to be here with you. And like I said, I teach high school social studies, which is, um, which is the greatest place, the greatest job to have in all of, in all of the jobs I could imagine. Um, I get a chance to work with young people who would never darken the door of a church, who would never... Uh, maybe even entertain overt spiritual thoughts, and yet who are desperately seeking for answers to life and consistently looking for a compass to go by. And so in the context of teaching U.S. misery, I, uh, I have the chance of, to, to take... I, I really don't care about Jefferson or Jackson or the Civil War. I really don't care about even the greatest president. It's not George. It, it, the greatest president is, is Teddy Roosevelt. I really don't care about all of the details. What I care about is being able to draw lessons from their lives that can plug into young people's hearts to allow them to live more effectively. I have a sign on my wall that says, poor people should take rich people out to lunch because success leaves clues. Poor people should take rich people out to lunch because success leaves clues. So does failure. We study the lives of people who've gone before us in order to, to hopefully distill principles that we can plug into our lives to live more effectively, to be more joyful, to be more fulfilled. As she just said, to be more content, to be knowing that we're walking exactly where we should walk. It's the same reason why I study the scripture. I really don't care about Peter and Paul. I mean, I want to know about him, and you do too, probably. I really want to know about, about Saul that you heard about last week. Is that right? Was it Saul? And then, and then the prophet beforehand, who was, it? who was that? Jonah? Was it? Come on, you were here. And uh, we, we really don't need to know about them, but we need to hear the stories to distill the lessons to find our God walk be that much more effective. That's why we're here. Poor people should take rich people out to lunch because success leaves clues. So you've looked at Jonah. You've looked at um, Saul. You will look at others down the way. We could look at Adam and talk about design. We could look at Mary and talk about worship. We could talk about David and, and having a God life that's full in the midst of a flawed personal life. And today we're going to look at one that you may not have thought about before. Today we're going to talk about Cain, the first son of the Bible. And we know Cain because 
what did he do? He killed his brother, and his brother's name is Abel. Cain kills Abel. And that's about the extent of our knowledge for most of us. Now, because I'm old school, and Ken, I hope you weren't referring to me when you said, I love when older Christian men talk to me. <sighs> Jimmy Buffett, the great American philosopher, said <laughs> at one point, he says, you can grow older every day, but you can stay immature all your life. And... Um, so what we're going to look at today, we're going to look, if you have your Bibles and a book light, and if you, if you want to follow along, because I'm old school, and as Ken mentioned, old, I didn't do a PowerPoint, so you have to kind of follow along. We're in Genesis chapter 4, the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 4, where it tells this story about Cain and his brother Abel. And we're going to see a story of hollow spirituality. That leads to a raging jealousy and a cascade of poor choices. And then we're going to watch God in the midst of that. Then what we're going to try to do is, is pull some principles out of that to be able to see how God might be working in our lives as well. So Genesis chapter 4, here's Cain's story, warts and all. It says, Now the man Adam had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, boy, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Gotten a man-child. I like that. Um, and again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel became in time a keeper of flocks. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. No comment, no moral judgment. It was just like, this guy became a rancher. This guy became a farmer. Time eventually pass because they're old enough to have an occupation. So we're not talking about children. Now, verse 3. So it came to pass that it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. And Cain became exceedingly angry, and his countenance fell. Let's stop and pray. Father God, I pray that I would not get in the way of the words that you would have us to, to hear today. And I pray that the eyes of our heart would be opened, that we could see new things and powerful things that might shape us so that we could, we could live more effective lives for the name of Jesus, even today, and certainly to build on that for the rest of our lives. Amen. So what we, have, what we have is we have this guy, Cain, and he grew up in the presence of God. I, ha I didn't. Now, his dad and mom had made their problems, and yet God had faithfully, after they left the garden, he, they had faithfully uh, been provided for, they built a family. They built a life. God was completely in the midst of that. And Cain grows up in this, in this dynamic God world. It wasn't a matter that he had to imagine what God was like or had to, had to wonder about what church he was going to go. He was living a God life. And so he saw it. And as the time goes along, he's making offerings. He's bringing stuff to God. And, and apparently they've grown up. And so that's why in verse 3 it says, and it comes to pass in the course of time. I think his heart grew cold. 
Keith Green, a, a singer. When I first became a Christian, I wasn't raised in a church home, and I became a Christian through Young Life, and it was part of the Jesus People Movement of California, and it was kind of a really a fun time and all the rest in the early 70s. And Keith Green said, I talked, sang songs often about hollow spirituality. One song he sings, I've gone and done it again. Is there ever an end to the ways that I find to leave you? There's a, there's a sense of the familiar that sometimes that can hollow out our God life to the place that we just go through the motions. Whether it's in church or whether it's at home, we say prayer over dinner and we pay a little money when the popcorn bucket comes by and we, we drag our sorry behinds to church and, and yet we're just kind of going through the motions. And that's the picture I see of Cain, that he had taken for granted and allowed his, taken for granted the life of God that he had and allowed his spiritual life to become somewhat tinny rather than solid. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. And I think that's normal and natural as we go through seasons of life that sometimes my spiritual life will be full and other times it will be empty. So this one time it says, so it came about in the... In the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. There's no indication of age here. And there's no indication that this was their first offering. I think it was the next offering. And he had had it. He had brought, he brought something from the basket. Here's the fruit of the ground. Okay, I'll take this. I gave it to the Lord. There it is. And God says, I have no regard for that. It's hollow. And Abel, he brings the firstling, and he brings the fat portions. He brings the very best. He looks through the flock, and he says, not that one, not that one, maybe, ah, there it is. That's the very best. And I want to bring that to God, and I'm going to give it to him. Cain's response, God says, you know what? That's a waste of your time. There's no, there's no benefit to you for this. You, you're making show. You're doing what you think you need to do. Abel, I have great regard for yours. And Cain's response back is anger. He was very angry. He went, Ugh. I'm glad none of you have ever done that. Because you're Christians, you don't say the word, but you go, Ugh. and then it says his countenance fell. <sighs> deflation. God calls him on his game. It isn't worth a thing. <sighs> and his countenance fell. He, he was broken at that point. He was at a great spot. God had gotten his attention. He was at the perfect place where God could say, time to wake up, man. Time to go to the next chapter spiritually and quit playing the game. But instead, he let his anger go to jealousy, and then he worked on that jealousy toward a bitter end. So here we go. Hollow spirituality leads to some tragic choices. I'm in verse 6. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Look at that. Why are you so angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't you be lifted up? If you behave right, 
Won't you get what you want? And that's this happy, full, contented life. Why, why, uh, let's see. Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, it came about when they were out in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Then the Lord said, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. It's not my job to watch him. Playing with sheep, probably. That's in the Hebrew. (laughs) Cain's hollow spirituality leads to a cascade of bad choices. Here comes one. The choice to ignore God, even when God is wooing him. Hey, do I have your attention now? Yeah, I'm angry. My countenance has fallen. Let me give you some instruction. No, I'm going to make the choice to ignore God. The choice to give in to anger. Instead of responding about himself, he projects it to his brother. The choice to ignore God, the choice to give an end to anger, the choice to hide behind petulance. I'm angry. I had a kid a couple years ago in my history class by the name of Arlo Flotwad. And uh, Arlo, Arlo was a sneak, and I never quite caught him. And uh, one day, and he was almost fail on the class, and it was toward the end of the semester, and Arlo came in and he said, he goes... Can I take the final late? Well, Arlo, you said you were going to come in and make up the test on this time, and now you want to come in on the grade day? Yeah, can I come in on the grading day when nobody's here and take the test? Sure, come on in. So I let Arlo in there, and and he was a sneak and a thief and a liar. Tons of potential. And... um, so I set him up. I had finished my grades. I said, I'll be there from 9 until about 1.30, and then I've got an appointment at 2. So come on in, sometimes 9 to 10, so I can have time to grade it, and I'll get the grades in. And uh, so he shows up about 1.45, and uh, he comes in, and he says, can I take the test now? Sure, Arlo, have a seat. So I sat him down, and I put the test in front of him, and I said, you know, I've got this uh, appointment. So take the test leave it on the desk, shut the lights off, the door's locked, it's open now, the door's locked, just close the door, and we'll be good. So I hop on my bike, and I start heading to my appointment, and I get down about red carpet car wash from Ben High, down 3rd Street, about red carpet car wash, and the alarm goes off. And I'm thinking, what in the world have I done? I don't trust him. So I turned around, and I sneak in the end of B Hall, where my room is, and I kind of tiptoe over, and I look around the corner, and there's Arlo with a book out, frantically, Chase copying down answers for his final. And I walked in. I said, hey, Arlo. And, and uh, got all excited. And there was this big dramatic, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't use the book. And we went this round and round. And his, in his capture, in his capture, he had a moment where he could make a great choice. Hey, I didn't know the answers. I, I screwed up. But instead, he chose to project it on me. And then I proceeded, we called the folks, and I proceeded to f- hear that apples and trees don't fall far from each other, and mom started projecting on me. How dare I leave her child alone with the temptation of a book when she was, he was supposed to be taking the test by himself. Bad choices can lead to bad outcomes. 
They lash out, just like, just like Cain lashed out. And then he's going to live a life that's scarred by these choices. Let me just quickly read, and then we're going to draw some principles. Verse 10, and he said, what have you done? God said to a- uh, Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your own hand. And when you cultivate the ground, you're no longer going to yield strength to you. It won't yield strength to you, but you shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face I'll be hidden and I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth and, and it will all come about that whoever finds me is going to try to kill me. I, I'm hosed. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him. I'm going to protect him. Vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, whatever that was, uh, lest anyone finding him should hurt him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain had relationships with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city that was called by uh, by the name of Enoch, in the name of his son. A couple of principles quick before we go on to see some ideas out of this. Cain failed. God said natural consequences are going to come your way. You're out because you failed this test. Cain says, I can't take it. God in his grace says, fine, no one's going to hurt you. In fact, we're going to give you a different life. He finds a wife, he has a son, he builds a city, he establishes a new culture. God's grace is even in the sin and the failure of Cain. Poor people should take rich people out to lunch because success and failure leave clues. So let's look just for a couple of minutes here about what we can learn from Cain. First of all, sometimes you and I are going to find ourselves at a place where we are Spiritual life is somewhat hollow, somewhat tinny. And I mentioned before, but I want to say again, that, that there is that sense of flow. There is that sense that sometimes my life is at high tide and sometimes it's at ebb tide. When we're there, we got to remember that God will always ask the penetrating question. God will always ask us. It's as though he, he walks around ready for us to be hollow, and when we are, he cares about us enough that he just simply whips out a mirror and he says, take a look at yourself with this question. Cain, what are you so angry about? And why has your countenance fallen? Later, Cain, where is your brother? Isn't that a lot like what he had just said to his dad, what God had said to his dad a few years back? Adam, Adam, where are you? God could see him clearly, easily, but he wanted Adam to see that he was hiding. He wanted Cain to say, you know what? I really shouldn't be angry. I really should be concerned about my brother. Over and over and over, God allows us to go along the way, and then he will ask us the question. Remember when David is, after David had failed and he had sex with Bathsheba and killed her husband 
And Nathan the prophet comes prompted by God and he tells him this whole story about a guy stealing some stuff from another guy. And he says, and, and David gets all incensed and he doesn't ask him a question at that point, but he says, who is this guy? And Nathan says, you're the man. You. One time in the gospel of Mark, it records a time when Jesus hooks up with this we know him as the rich young ruler. We don't know if he was young or if he was a ruler, but we know he's wealthy. He comes running up to Jesus and he says, I've done everything I can. I've kept all of the commandments. Now, what must I do more? And Jesus says, just give away everything you have to the poor and follow me. That statement of Jesus has nothing to do with wealth. It has everything to do with every one of us have the thing that we hold on to, the thing that we don't want to confront. And when that thing comes up, God says, that's what I want to deal with. Cain, why are you angry? Let's deal with that because that's an indicator of your heart. Rich young ruler, give away everything because you're really depending on that and you really need to depend on me. I think one principle we can come out of this is that God is going to ask us going to ask us the penetrating question. It may be you're one morning over coffee reading the Bible and all of a sudden a verse comes out like it's written in light itself and it's like, holy cow. It may be someone coming to you, someone, a friend coming to you, like it says in Proverbs 27, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Somebody coming to you and saying, that's it. What about that? Or even as common as what Ken was talking about today in terms of the, uh, the website that will search your searches and then report it to someone else, holding you accountable. Why are you there? God will use various means because he is committed to seeing you and me grow. First thing is God is going to ask a penetrating question. There, there is no such thing as hiding your deepest hidden thing forever. It's going to come out. Second thing is, God off, always offers practical counsel. He says to him, he says to Cain, I think it's verse 6. Let me see. Verse 7, he says, if you do well, won't your countenance be lifted up? It's cause and effect. You really want the effect of being happy, being full. It's easy, Cain, do well. It's not a card concept. Here's the practical counsel. For you and me, we spend so much time and money and energy searching for things to fulfill us. And God says, it's right here. I designed you. I know exactly what will fulfill you. It may be having a college group at Grand Turk. I think you need a teacher to go along to make sure that the education continues. <laughs> but it's cause and effect. I know the way you're made. He says, I've given you the directions, simply follow the directions and you're going to get what you want rather than chasing all over trying to find some other thing to fill it. God offers that practical counsel and it works in my marriage. My wife's here today, so I've got to be careful because I don't want to speak beyond what my actions actually are. But I know the scriptures tell me how to be a husband. When I do that, she's happy. And when mama's happy, everybody's happy. And when I don't do that, man, you know the consequences. And I usually find a way to blame her. 
That usually works. <laughs> Men and women, my job, my marriage, my personal life, my, fam- uh, my extended family, my sports, my relationships, my activities, the way I spend, the way I earn my money. God says all of it is a piece, and I've given you practical advice on every piece of it. If you want to be happy, just do this. The manual is there. So the first thing, principle we can take out of the story of Cain is that God will ask the penetrating question. And the thing that you're harboring or hiding won't be stay hidden forever, I guarantee you. Sometime God cares about you enough to come up to you and say, yeah, all this is good, but what about that thing? What, what about that one? And at that point, the mirror is in front of us and we have to see ourselves for what we are. Then he offers practical counsel. Then he, the third principle we can get out of it is that he will warn of dangerous uh, outcomes. He'll warn of danger. Verse 7 again. He says, he says um, if you do well, won't your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. It's crouching at the door. It is pursuing you like Arnold did in Terminator 1. It is chasing you relentlessly. I was in a movie theater, so I thought I had to have a movie kind of analogy there. (laughs) Terminator 1 may be one of the classics of all time. You think about it. I'll be back. Danger, sin is crouching at at the door. And the next phrase, and it's desire is for you. It's desire. That's an interesting phrase. It's desire. It's, it's passion is to consume you. It's crouching at the door. Peter in 1 Peter says, Satan runs around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. It's that same image. Right behind the door is this thing, and it's up to you. Beware of your choices because you're going to be devoured by them. One of my favorite novels in American literature that I forced my AP history kids to read is Moby Dick by Herman Melville because it, it is a, such a powerful moral lesson of Captain Ahab chasing the white whale across the oceans and being totally consumed with this and, and then end up being consumed by it, by the white whale. And the analogy or the principle that Melville is teaching is that be careful what you pursue because that which you devote your heart to will eventually consume you. We've seen people be consumed by the pursuit of money or by experiences or pleasure or service or godliness. What we pursue will eventually consume us. Sin is crouching at the door. God says, do right and you'll be happy. I see the whole picture, God says. You don't understand that if you go down this path, you're going to be in trouble. It's like the police chase videos. You see it from the helicopter view. And you say, here comes the guy and there's a cop behind him. He doesn't see the barrier. The bridge is out ahead. And he's going to make a turn. He's going to go into the water. Watch out. God says, be careful. I know your life. Now we're butting up against something that's pretty powerful. Do we trust God or not with our life? Do we trust him that he really does know what's right for us? So the principles out of Cain, we see, first of all, that God will sometime ask us the question. Same time, he's going to give us practical counsel if you want to 
feel well, do right. Then he's going to warn us of the dangers. Hey, if you keep on this path, sin is crouching at the door and it wants to consume you. Its desire is for you. And then the last one is that God challenges people, challenges us to master it. Look at the end of verse 7. If you do well, won't your conscience be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. You must master it. The it is totally individual. Status, money, lust, ambition, anger, past problems. Whatever the it is, you must master it. He challenges us to be men and women rather than boys and girls. He challenges us as does all scripture. Nobody's going to be your mommy in this. No one can live this for you. This is your arena. You must master it. He was all for Cain as he is all for you. You need to go out of this and go to bed tonight with your head on the pillow and say to yourself, I am so glad that God is for me. And all that I experience is for me to be able to master life and to live life fully here and be prepared for heaven. That's what it's about. You must master it. For years, I had the opportunity to coach wrestling, high school and middle school, until, as Ken said, I got to be the older Christian man. I watched you walk in, Weitzman. I owe you for that one. But my body won't let me coach wrestling anymore, but I think wrestling is a great coach for young athletes because it, it confronts children, youth, young adults with the thing they fear the most. They are inside an arena. It is such an analogy to life. They're inside this circle. They're standing against an opponent. They are almost naked wearing a wrestling singlet. There is no place to hide. All of their flaws, physical and emotional, are exposed. It's such a powerful analogy, and good coaches teach about this. They have to step into the arena by themselves. They are on the edge of the mat, edge of the circle, stands the coach calling out instructions, wanting desperately to hear the response from the wrestler that they get it and they do it. Because he sees more and knows more than that athlete. Up in the stands are all the people who desperately want to see that athlete succeed. It is so much like life. No one can stand in the arena. No one can step inside the circle and help that wrestler without disqualifying him. God has loves you enough to say, this is your life. And the power of the Holy Spirit will encourage you to do the things you know to do, but you are alone and you are nearly naked and you must master it. And you will never be fulfilled until you do. You will never come to that place of being able to say, I have a full life until you know you've addressed that thing in all the midst of the fear, not opposed, not apart from the fear, but courageously in the midst of the fear, standing in that arena alone against your adversary with the coach, the God of the universe saying, here's the way to do it with a great crowd of witnesses, all your friends and family and the saints of ages saying, we believe you can do it and you must master it. And your it is different than my it. And men and women, I am a fellow struggler because I'm pretty clear on what my it is. 
and it scares me to death. Cain made a series of bad choices and did not master it. I have faith by the fake, by the fact that faith in the fact that he has a wife and a child and establishes a uh, a city that he got it later. But he failed here in order to get to that place. Poor people should take rich people out to lunch because success and failure leave clues. Cain is a man a lot like us. Confronted with his issue, he failed that test. And God said very clearly, hey, if you want to be happy, do right. Remind yourself that this isn't a game, but sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. Peter will say it's like a roaring lion wanting to eat you up. And God is for you, who will encourage you to master it. Let's pray together. Father God, we know in our heart of hearts that you love us. We know in our heart of hearts that we are called by your name and we are your children and we are excited about that to see the things you're doing in our life. But sometimes life itself is really scary. Sometimes we want to fake it with a hollow spirituality. Sometimes we want to try to pretend that we can hide from you. Father, I pray that today would be an honest day where we would face who we are, that we would remind ourselves that we have a God who loves us and who's given us everything we need for life and godliness, and that we would challenge our adversary, and that we would master it. God, we love you, and we look forward to seeing what you're going to do through this church and in our lives. And all God's people said...